0: Bureau of Prisons Correctional Officers, and nearly everyone is a correctional officer, operate in a crucible. They deal with the Bureau Management, which has trouble maintaining staffing and measuring its programs and inmates, and are, well, they're just inmates. Some are beyond redemption. Others work to improve their lives. In this, our second interview in our series, The Worst Place to Work in the Federal Government, we hear now from the president of the National Council of Prison Locals, also known as Council 33 of the American Federation of Government Employees, Shane Fossey. Mr. Fossey, good to have you with us.
1: Good morning, Tom. How are you?
0: All right. The Bureau did get the lowest rating in the best places to work. From your standpoint, why is that? What's going on in there?
1: So, you know, Tom, this is not a new revelation to say the least. It's been an evolution of cultural decline in the Bureau of Prisons. Um, and you can see the the red flag factors that I call them. Uh, a $2 billion backlog in maintenance, repair of the facilities. You know, the COVID crisis. Everything pointed to the staffing crisis, which is our biggest issue in, in our agency. We just don't have enough correctional officers to supervise the bad guys.
0: That's not an easy job, right? Is one of the reasons because people are just afraid to work in that type of context or that as people come, they get law enforcement certification, they move on to maybe more glamorous law enforcement jobs?
1: We see the retention as an issue uh, and recruiting is becoming an issue. I, I think our pay scales have really lagged behind this hot economy that we're in the middle of. Uh, we're not unique to any other profession. We're challenged in that area. but. You know, I have to really emphasize the extraordinary human beings, 35,000 of them, that operate America's federal prisons, and they do such an amazing, exemplary job with extremely limited resources.
0: And sometimes shifts can barely be covered then with only 35, because I think there's 40,000 are authorized, but if there's only 35,000 and there's a gap of five or 6,000, this is, you know, the latest reporting from GAO, then just simply covering shifts is a pretty crucial situation in a federal prison, isn't it? It
1: it is, and I've worked very closely with Ms. Goodwin and the GAO and some of their reports over the years. And this has been a steady decline since about 2005 when the agency executed the mission critical cuts. But it really kind of pushed us over the cliff, the staffing cuts of 2016, 2017, when we lost collectively 7,000 positions. Currently, there is about 8,000 vacancies from the authorized positions in the bureau of prison.
0: And if you would, just maybe give us a quick picture of the daily life of a corrections officer. How close to the inmates physically are officers? Are they armed? Because that might be dangerous in a prison setting. It's a social situation. It's a law enforcement situation. It's a psychological situation, I would think.
1: You know, our profession is so broadly described It's you know, we're not guards, number one. We are correctional officers we deal with real tangible human beings. And the 80%, we're actively trying to salvage them as human beings and get them back into society as a productive member. The other 20%, quite frankly, you don't want them in society, they're so dangerous. And it's such a balance when you walk around a housing unit. You don't see the Shawshank Redemption version that Hollywood portrays. We're human beings interacting with 150, 200 human beings in a very social setting. Not everybody's secured behind the door. they are out moving around, going to the commissary, to the dining hall. It's really a unique human experience to witness. And I challenge anybody that has the opportunity to experience it for themselves.
0: Yeah. And so there is sometimes physical danger, but then there's also, I mean, the word correction is part of the title of the job. And as you say, there are plenty of people that you feel like you really want to help and want to be helped. Fair?
1: That's a fair assessment. And I can tell you, we've helped more people than we've harmed over the hundred years of the Bureau's evolution. We've made good human beings out of people that made mistakes in their lives and ended up you know, in a really bad place. Unfortunately, as you navigate this environment, danger lurks around every corner not just for ourselves, but for the other offenders that live there as well.
0: We're speaking with Shane Fossey. He is president of the National Council of Prison Locals of the American Federation of Government Employees. What do you feel BOP management needs to do to get the staffing at full level? And how are relations with the management in general between the corrections officers, the union, and the people running the prisons and running the agency?
1: So at the national level, we've been really focused collectively on hiring. And this has been an issue for us like i said for many many years now but it's become you can't hide the statistical data receipt it's real human costs to a lack of supervision so we're focusing a lot of funding on recruiting new people into this business i can tell you it's a good job it has great benefits and i think You know, we're the pinnacle of corrections as an agency. I just did a recent event in Colorado with an assembly of corrections professionals from across the world. And I found very quickly, we're a model for the rest of the world that they they follow what we do. So we just have to fix the staffing crisis, which affects everything in common, every aspect of our business. If you don't have enough supervision, bad things happen.
0: So if the staffing were to restore to the full allocated authorized staffing and those five or six thousand, seven thousand, maybe holes were filled with good employees, would that affect the best places to work score?
1: I absolutely think it will. I I think the score that you're seeing is a reflection of collective exhaustion. Our officers and our employees, they're tired. They've been holding the line for at least 10 years under extreme conditions. If they hired fully to 100 percent, You would see a decline in contraband. You would see a decline in violence. You would see a decline in suicide. Like I said, those conditions we're in right now have real human consequences.
0: I imagine seeing or witnessing or being exposed to the violence, say, prisoners among themselves, even though the officer may not be directly involved, that must have a psychological or some kind of debilitating effect just to witness that.
1: That's a fair assessment. Um, Sustained exposure to violence or threats of violence for long periods of time, like corrections does, gave us a a new priority is focusing on employee wellness. And, you know, trying to prevent or treat post-traumatic stress disorder and things that develop throughout the career. And I think the new director is right on board with employee wellness.
0: What's, in your opinion, the best way to deal with those occasional officers that go off the rails themselves?
1: You know, Tom, I testified in front of the Senate when a bad when we identify a bad egg, get them out of our prisons. We don't want them there just as much as society doesn't want them there they're a decay or a cancer that can affect the entire institution and the level of safety for every employee. So if
0: you're a criminal, you don't belong
1: in this business and you need to go.
0: And what about the issue of hiring with respect to the locale of prisons? That is to say they're in rural areas, many cases, and they're far away from big population centers. You have a limited pool of people available? How does that affect the recruiting and hiring?
1: So it's it's really hard to attract someone out into, and a lot of our institutions are in rural locations. Uh, we're working on a piece of legislation right now to kind of address that issue because we're competing with that same metropolitan area's pay scale, but we're living so far remote from that area. Most people, we have to incentivize them to move to those remote locations.
0: I mean, what would your selling proposition be to someone who just say graduated in a law enforcement or criminal justice program at a college in or near a large metropolitan area to go to a Florence, Colorado or someplace like that, Allenwood, Pennsylvania, far from Philadelphia or Pittsburgh, whatever. What's the what's the unique selling proposition of the job, do you think?
1: So we have a couple incentives that we've launched. One is a ten thousand dollar sign on bonus across the country, not just at those locations that you mentioned. We have a recruiting bonus for employees, you know, to Our best recruiters are our own employees, but we also have location incentives for our most hard to fill locations. Florence has one, has a 25% incentive. So unfortunately, it's like sticking your fingers in a dam and eventually you run out of fingers and the dam's still cracking. We need to address the pay scale across the country to incentivize corrections to those people. You know, they're working at other employees like Target and Walmart. They're offering so much more on an hourly wage and I think what we're noticing, Tom, the younger generation doesn't understand the tangible benefits of retirement funds and health care like the older workers who did. So... I think we need to incentivize them with dollar sign.
0: But what about the job itself that would attract someone to say, I'd like to do this? Is there a calling quality to it or is there something inherently satisfying about this work that you could also try to convince people of?
1: Absolutely, Tom. 30 years in corrections this year. The first thing you notice is a cohesive teamwork or team concept. When something bad happens, you collectively respond And it really leaves an impact on you when you're in trouble and you see 30, 40 of your coworkers responding to help you. Not to mention the real tangible effects of protecting your community. There's this level of service that's so hard to describe until you're actually feeling it yourself.
0: And you mentioned the backlog in maintenance and repair of the facilities. Does that affect only what the prisoners experience or does that also affect what the staff experiences?
1: So it really affects every aspect of the facility or the multiple facilities. Two billion dollar backlog in infrastructure repairs and I'm talking major mold uh, or, you know, decay of the infrastructure itself. And it affects you mentally as well as physically you know there's a lot of offices you can't use because they're infested with mold and you don't have the money to fix it which is really strange but i think the mental aspect that cultural decline that i've described earlier when you come into work and the place is clean and painted and looks good your your mental state's a lot better than when you come in and there's mold and dirt and the walls are falling down It really has an impact on the collective workforce.
0: And are you hoping that the new director, Ms. Peters, will be there a while? Because there has been a parade of directors and acting directors over the past several years. There's been no real continuity at the top of BOP.
1: The inconsistency in leadership affects any organization, but it's really critical with our structure. I think I'm on my fifth director now as the national president. And it's a constant relearning process, learning new priorities. I'm really hoping Ms. Peter sticks around for a while. So far in the honeymoon phase, we're getting along pretty well and we have common focuses. So I think we're moving forward, but as you know, Trying to turn a bureaucracy around is like steering an aircraft carrier.
0: Shane Fozzie is president of the National Council of Prison Locals of the American Federation of Government Employees. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thank you, Tom. I really appreciate it.
0: And tomorrow in our series, The Worst Place to Work in the Federal Government, we'll hear from a former senior executive service member of the Bureau of Prisons. He's also former warden of its most secure facility. Find all of the interviews in this series at federalnewsnetwork.com.